You know, one of the greatest things I get to do as a children's pastor is to study with kiddos. Uh, yes, hallelujah. Um, about the Bible. And recently, I started uh, Bible studies with this kiddo that I want you to meet up here. And <laughs> this is Aiden. And the little one next to him, oh, just kidding, it went away, in the red, is uh, Landon. And three weeks ago, when um, Aiden came to my office, I learned that Aiden had been carrying around this little piece of paper here with a list of questions that uh, he had been gathering for some time. And at the top of this list was, why do we go to church on Saturday? As we talked that day, you know, I realized that Aiden's question about Sabbath keeping was really less about the fact that we gather here in this building. Because Aiden and really any kiddo can get on board with the rhythm of church, right? And, and what it means to come into a place and see familiar faces on a weekly basis. But what Aiden was talking about was more about what this gathering said about who we are as people. He was asking me about value. Why do we gather on Saturdays? And, and what is the gathering that we do? What, is, what does this say about who we are? What happens to us on account of gathering for the time that we do? These are great questions. So when we get down to our Sabbath keeping, what exactly are we communicating to our young ones, like Aiden and his brother Landon, about who we are becoming and what they are inheriting as Sabbath keepers? Today, as we think about this identity that we have in the Sabbath, we also think about how Sabbath in its wholeness not only brings us to our identity as God's people, as people of God, who seek to be diligently righteous, but also it demands that we live a life of justice. Today, we will venture to understand Sabbath keeping as a part of biblical justice. So our tradition as Sabbath keepers finds its deep roots in the story of creation. Before it is the command uh, to the people of Israel in Exodus 20, it's a time of celebration where, where God rests, which is the word itself for Sabbath, Shabbat. The word Shabbat meaning quite literally to cease, to desist, to rest. But God not only rests, God intentionally sets time apart and then consecrates it. Meaning that God will celebrate and honor this day as holy. Commemorating it. Commemorating that something significant has happened. God celebrates not just creation, right? This isn't just like an occasion for God to pat God's self on the back, although I 100% agree that it is completely warranted if God wanted to celebrate God's self for creating a world. I mean, if I created a world, I'd probably be like, hey guys, look what I did. I talk about it all the time, right? Um, but beyond this, God is celebrating God's relationship with this new creation and in particular with humans 
which are unique to all the other creation. And the culmination is this grand celebration, and it's located in this incredibly lush garden called Eden, which means delight. We are familiar with consecration around here. In a week, we're going to start this series of consecration ceremonies right here in this sanctuary. We are going to set time apart to publicly note and recognize that the students that we just prayed over and gave medals to here, they did a thing, a big thing. And the people who helped them do the thing also did a thing. We consecrate time. These students work hard, and now as a community, we honor them, and we celebrate them, and we set them apart. We will consecrate them. So God does this with humans and other creatures, and God calls this Sabbath. Then, as time goes by, the meaning of this original Sabbath changes. But not because it's not holy, but rather what changes is how creation comes into this time of rest and holy space. By the time we get to the book of Exodus, the setting apart of this time and rest comes to creation, not at the end of creating, of God creating this new earth and in a beautiful lush garden like in the first two chapters of Genesis, No, rather it comes at the end of a long rescue mission in dry desert space. Barren area of land, quite the opposite of a lush garden. And we meet the people at the base of Mount Sinai, which literally means thorny. So the people of God being enslaved for over 400 years, making bricks and working in an inexhaustible schedule for Pharaoh, whose only interest ever was more production and more production and more production. They must now hear this invitation into holy and consecrated time as a command. In large part because they have lived 400 years enslaved and without the freedom to practice Sabbath keeping as their ancestors and they have gotten used to plowing through the days in angst to meet quotas. What happens when we don't practice something regularly, we're liable to forget. The Israelites have spent years abiding to the order of a leader who has forced them not only to a life of endless production, but also that their work was in essence worship to their gods, lowercase g, gods of Egypt. And the people of Israel, even though they had been rescued, even though God had redeemed and brought them into this new space away from Pharaoh, they're going to have to learn a new way of life. Many of the people gave into idol worship. And when they lived in Egypt, it was hard to escape that anxiety and fear. So the Ten Commandments come to the people as this new regimen for life. They will need new hearts. New hearts that are not hard like Pharaoh's heart, but soft like God's heart. And if you've ever tried to redirect any of habits in your life, um, you know that changing your habits, or we now call it a lifestyle change, can be incredibly difficult. However, this is less like you and me learning to walk away from the dessert table at potluck because we're trying to lose a couple pounds. 
While the people of Israel have left Egypt, which we can consider the object of all of their temptation, they took with them their trauma. God knew this, and then Moses would come to know this as their leader, and no less, even with all of their baggage, they bring with them God is interested in recovering God's people. Like we read in Psalms 146, and we've read in these past weeks, who execute, this is God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. This is God that sets the prisoners free. God who opens the eyes of the blind. God who lifts up those who are bowed down. God that loves the righteous. God who watches over the strangers. God who upholds the orphan and the widow. It is God who frees the people from their oppressor and defeats the oppressor. And these commandments were not only meant to attend to their trauma, but more significantly to bring the people back into a relationship with God and into whole relationships with one another. This carefully placed fourth commandment about Sabbath keeping, it comes at the end of a list of four commandments that function, and it functions as this bridge to the rest of the six commandments. The first four commandments geared towards Humans' relationships with God. I think we've kind of heard this before. And then the last six commandments geared towards how humans relate to one another. Later in the New Testament, Jesus will split these ten into two categories. Make it a little bit easier. Love God and love your neighbor. Love one another. Love people. Loving God is an active thing that results in loving people. And loving people in the same is an act or this practice that results in loving God. The Sabbath command is monumental as Sabbath is a shared experience for all of creation. When God calls the people to remember, God is calling all creation to come to a halt where the powers of Egypt have no strength or hold on them any longer. In this command, God calls the people to remember this Sabbath day of consecration for all creation, regardless of status of power, of class, of race. Everyone, not just the pharaohs of the world, are called to belong on Sabbath. God who rests now with the people is unlike the gods of Egypt. This God who emancipated them from slavery and, and consequently the work system of Egypt and from the gods of Egypt who require and legalize this work system that requires of the people insatiable productivity, God wants the people to know that they are free from this exile and the labor system that so endlessly demands of them. Biblical justice, as we see it displayed in this relationship, is preoccupied with and is attentive to social economic practice and policy. But this new world and form of life is not easily lived out as maybe God and Moses would have imagined that the Israelites would have adopted. 
By the time we, we get to the end of Exodus, the people have reverted to their previous ways. The life that they used to live in, in exile, and in the absence of Moses, while he's up on Mount Sinai talking to God on behalf of the people, the people make a golden calf and they worship it, negating the covenants that they had previously just made with God. You know what they say, you can take the slave out of exile, but you can't take the exile out of the slave. And so for 40 years, God would struggle with the people of Israel and their struggle to overcome this mentality of exile all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. We're upon entering the promised land that God has promised these people. Moses will again reiterate the command for Sabbath keeping. Except for this time, the verb changes from remember to observe. Like the people of Israel, I have to confess that exile is a human condition that I am often trapped in. One definition of exile is when we keep repeating a pattern of human corruption that leads to a Babylon that we cannot escape. This is, in essence, a Babylon that we ourselves create. And like the Israelites, you and I are vulnerable to this culture that teaches us to be driven more by the pressure to produce than the value to abide. Because we belong to a time where the answer to, how are you doing, is no longer, I'm great, fine, thank you. How about you? How are you doing, Sam? But rather, when somebody asks you, how are you doing, your answer is, I am so busy, I am busy, I am so, so busy. And it's like these words are like this, this rite of passage for being a productive human. The author of the book, Justice in the Burbs, which is a book that you'll find on your reading list. I know you're all busy reading. The author of this book talks about this sense of busyness as one of the ways that you and I become blind to participating more fully in bringing the wellness to our communities that God asks. The author suggests that we are so busy keeping up with all this stuff in our lives that we don't have the time to see the needs that God is asking us to be mindful of. We can't participate in biblical justice, come alive, because we're too busy attending to the many things on our list. And then this frantic energy that drives us down Sunday through Friday is the frantic energy that you and I walk into to our Sabbath time with God. So by the time that you and I get to Sabbath and Sabbath time with one another, we're spent. We have nothing left to give. I can't imagine that this is how God hoped to spend God's Sabbath time with us. God wants to ensure us restfulness, not restlessness at the center of our life. So God gives us this Sabbath time and in response, 
to this divine gift of rest, we choose between life and death in a very similar way that the Israelites had to choose between life and death. Meaning that they had to choose between God, their Yahweh, and the God of their ancestors. This choosing to rest with God is a practice in vulnerability. We have to trust that when we cease all of the work for ourselves, all of the work that we demand of other people to do and be productive, that when we cease the party planning, even the good things in our lives, when we cease the compiling of the list of things that still need to get done in our house, in our yard, when we cease writing all of these emails, when we cease social media, when we cease even the anger and fights in our families, the shopping list for graduation next week, you have your list, you're probably thinking of them right now. When we cease this, instead, we come into a place of trust that when we put all of this down on Sabbath day as God commands, God has us. God's taking care of us. Walt Brueggemann, another author on our reading list. You're welcome. It's twice. He suggests that we need to flip how we come into the Sabbath by seeing more carefully something that Moses does in the book of Deuteronomy. And he says this, Moses in Deuteronomy imagines this Sabbath is not only a festival day, but also a new social reality that is carried back into days one through six. People, Brueggemann says, who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. So the task, according to Moses, is to seven our lives. Yes, seven our lives. We may identify a new life made possible when patterns of coercion are broken by the faithful observance of this Sabbath day, and it provides for us a day of deep freedom, and not just for us, but for all of God's creation. What would it be like if you and I sevened our lives? Maybe it would mean that because we have practiced, we have observed this, kept this Sabbath, the natural consequence is that we carry that mindfulness into the rest of the week. That when we are tempted to live out of anxiety and fear that we don't have enough, that we have not done enough, or that we ourselves are not enough, we pause and we remember the God who brought us, our, our ancestors, out of Egypt is the same God who's bringing us out of whatever it is that we find ourselves enslaved to. It's this God the same God who time after time forgave and then guided the Israels. This God will be gentle with us, will be humble in heart. This God will give us rest because God's yoke, unlike Pharaoh's, is easy. Because God's burden, unlike Pharaoh's, 
is light. Sevening our lives Sunday through Friday makes us aware of all the other things that God talks about in that commandment. From Exodus 2, Deuteronomy, and then in the New Testament, God is not opposed to hardworking people. God is not opposed to us having goals. God is not opposed to us living lives that are thriving. The commandment says six days you shall work. But there's a big but after that. But, it says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter, your female or male servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock and the resident alien of your town so that your male and female slave, all of creation, may rest as well as you. Because just as you seek rest, so does the rest of God's creation. Biblical justice, Sabbath, as a day of justice, calls us to see one another. To make space in our communities where people can be whole. Sabbath calls us to set aside our anxieties and to trust that it is God who will, in fact, provide because God has been providing. God is providing. And when we live out of this abundance of Sabbath, we can see the world through a different lens. And the anxiety and the pain that we used to live from that can be transformed. Maybe when, when we seven our lives, we open to participate in the world like our friend Donna showed us. And the way that she has offered a different part of her life. When we live in this new space of a Sabbath rest, we can see the needs of others and not feel dread and not feel like we're adding one more thing to our plate, but that we are energized and that this is what we are meant to do, to attend to the vulnerable in our community, to help them be well as you and I are well. And this, friends, is the legacy that we want to own and the one that we want to hand to the next generation. This is what I want to say to Aiden and to Landon when they come into my office. This is what I want to say to all of your kids when they ask, why do we come here on Saturday? And who does this say that we are? This is who we are and this is what we do. We see emancipated youth, and we offer them hope, and we extend rest. We see foster children, and we offer them hope, and we extend rest, because this is who we are, and this is why you're here today. We heard about Blythe Church. We see them. 
We see the work that they are doing. We see that they need things. They need a lot of things. We just got a really great list from Pastor Chris, and we're going to share that with you guys afterwards. But they need things. They have been gathering things, but they're attending to the need of people, and they still need more things. What can we offer them? The same kind of hope that we receive? The same kind of security that God grants us day one through six? We see new parents like Samira and Scott. I just heard last night they delivered a beautiful 10-pound, is that right, Leilani, baby girl. Her name is Eleanor. I don't have a picture, but she's so fluffy. But we see, we see Sam and we see Scott and we see this beautiful baby girl, Eleanor. And you know what we do is we offer them hope and we offer them rest and we do life alongside with them. And all of this, friends, we call justice. All of this we recognize comes from living out of the abundance and the goodness of Sabbath. This is what it means to seven our lives so that we don't show up here exhausted and spent with nothing to give. We're living it in reverse. It is this day, friends, this day that the Lord has given that should fuel the rest of the days that you are living. Amen.